so up? Oh, shoot. You're so up? You're so high. There we go. Okay, it was yeah, it was buzzing. It was buzzing a lot. Now, not so much. High above me. She's so, She's so lovely. lovely. She's let's so make this high. let's make this a 90s podcast. <laughs> let's make this you must remember this too and it's all about um stories from the 90s. What are we? Rewatchability? Oh, that's right. I called out a fellow podcast. Wow. I'm sure they're going to be devastated by that. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. They literally have uh, eight times the listeners that we do. <laughs> and probably eight times as many episodes. Yeah, that's true. John, I, I've got someone for jury duty this week. Okay. And, you know, it was no fuss. It was pretty pretty good. I, I was about to say, if you are going to get someone for jury duty, do it at the Santa Monica Courthouse. Very nice. Ooh, lovely. Yeah. Also, you'll probably get, like, a high-profile case. You'll probably see, like, some movie star accused of murder or something. It'll well, be there fun. was only one case that day, and it got settled before they could even call us. So oh, I was only there lucky. in the morning. Again, perfect jury duty service. But lucky. you know what I didn't do? I didn't brag about it. I didn't make a whole to-do. It didn't get reported in the Washington Post. But now, apparently, former President Barack Obama gets summoned for jury duty, and now everyone's just falling over themselves. <sighs> I mean, he can't even serve on a jury. He's not a peer, okay? He's not an American citizen, all right? Yeah, that's right. I'm blowing this thing wide open, okay? <laughs> Sure. Um, he was actually born on Mars. Okay. <laughs> welcome to the... <laughs> I was about to say, welcome to the Truth Beacon podcast. <laughs> uh, it's called the Patriot Freedom Report, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Where you get your real news. And when right? they're interjecting you with the vaccines, that's how they get the brain parasites in you. <laughs> that's why you need these vitamins. <laughs> I don't report for jury duty. I've only got one judge, and it's God, Okay. <laughs> This should be the podcast. Yeah, sure. We'll do that on uh, July 4th, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the galaxy's greatest holiday. Ooh, the galaxies. Oh, yeah. Oh. John, we're talking about global galactic conspiracy here. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Again, when you said he's from Mars, where do you think all the lizard people come from? That's an excellent point. I completely forgot the lizard people. Yeah, exactly. I thought they were from Galaxus 7, but we all know Galaxus 7 is a myth. No, absolutely. That's, again, ridiculous. Fake news. Completely dismissed it. <laughs> That's the kind of reporting you'll hear on CNN, but not here. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, here, here is the Aspiring Snobs podcast. Mm -hmm. A podcast for movie lovers. Yes, where we revisit classic movies. Yes. And we got a recommendation from one of our fans mm -hmm. for this week's film, Young Frankenstein. John, are you familiar with Mel Brooks's oeuvre? <laughs> Am I ever? <laughs> How many films of his have you seen? Uh, um, I'll be honest. I have. I I've seen Blazing Saddles, which is probably his most celebrated work. Am I wrong? No, I was actually going to say this is Young Frankenstein is really okay. Okay, yeah. so I, I but those I, two are kind of in the yeah in the pantheon. But I, since I we barely remember. I need to revisit Blazing Saddles because I don't really remember that much about it. Um. But for the movies I have seen, like mm -hmm. feels like latter day 
Mel Brooks, I've seen. Obviously, I love Spaceballs. Yeah. Um, I love Men in Tights. I love uh, History of the World Part 1, but those aren't his kind of highly celebrated ones like this one and uh, Blazing Saddles are. Yeah, those are two, I guess, regarded as the Pantheon and the other, and Spaceballs, mm-hmm. which we obviously adore because we're both 90s kids. Excuse me, <laughs> hashtag 90s kids. <laughs> that was kind of the only uh, spoof he did that was kind of almost modern day. He kind of uh, uses his career to kind of spoof movies that he kind of grew up with, and I guess yeah. Spaceballs as maligned as it is is kind of the only one that was kind of like hey here's something recent for the kids well, not, well yeah same with men in tights mm-hmm. which uh, these are kind of direct spoofs and they're a little bit more ruthless than blazing saddles and or i guess maybe a little more too contemporary or less contemporary i don't know well i mean <laughs> I men in tights yeah. is also kind of spoofing like the old errol flynn kind of movies i think uh i guess so but then I mean, again, you're right. It Kevin is more Costner of a prestige picture that came out. Yeah, I guess yeah. a year prior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but eh, whatever. We're getting too into yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what what did you think of Young Frankenstein? Um, I was hoping to laugh more. I, okay. I admire the spirit of it, but I don't know. I didn't find myself. <sighs> I rate comedies on a very specific scale, and mm-hmm. it's called the JPM, the jokes per minute. And I feel yeah. like this movie doesn't have a high quotient of jokes per minute. It's very funny, don't get me wrong, but I feel like the energy of it and kind of the anarchic spirit that you can kind of expect from some of his latter-day movies isn't there. Yeah, you said very funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to say amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my impression of this movie. I'm going to sum it up with an, an analogy, John, and not just okay. any analogy, a food metaphor. <laughs> Oh great! Okay, so get- if anyone if anyone's wondering what time it is, it is twelve eleven, and Greg has not eaten lunch yet, so expect a lot of uh, food metaphors. Yep. John, do you have you love your coffee? Do you have a cup of coffee in front of you? Yes, I do. Okay, perfect. Pick, put audience put picture in your mind a cup of coffee. Mm. That's you know, my black, ring banging yeah, against mm, my mug. Black. It's, mm, white it's up mug, against yes. my nose. Ooh. Yeah. Now, John, uh, I w- what I want you to do. Is yes. take a cu- cup of room temperature water. Oh, I've got that as well. Well, it's okay. a little cold. It's not exactly room temperature, but it's a, a look. Look, I'm, I'm I'm doing this for you. Exactly. Okay. So now, what I want you to do is pour that water into the coffee. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. You don't. Okay. You don't literally have to do that. But just picture yourself <laughs> pouring that. Are you pouring the water into the coffee? Yes. Splash. It's coming splash. up to the. Yes. It's coming up to the edge. Is it? Yes. Okay. Has it spilled over the edge yet? No. Okay. Well, let's keep pouring until it spills over the edge. Okay. All right. It's is it there? Yes, it's there. Perfect. <laughs> now I want you to stop pouring. Now okay. is it literally filled to the brim? Yes. Like if you try to move the coffee mug, will it will the coffee spill over? The audience is in suspense. Where is Greg going with this? <laughs> I'm just saying. Perfect. That 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 is. I feel that's Young Frankenstein in a nutshell. Very watered down, and there's too much of it. <laughs> Because not only, yeah, you mentioned this, like, kind of jokes per minute. A, you're right. It doesn't have the anarchic spirit of Blazing Saddles or even Space Walls. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a very high uh, gag ratio. Like, there's, mm-hmm. not, there's not enough gags. And it's interminable at an hour and 46 minutes. Uh, okay. The movie yes, felt it, like homework. It is a little long. I feel like you could cut it down. But again, it's because it has this very kind of uh, specific pace. 
And I think that comes from the source material. It is trying very hard to spoof a very specific genre, which is this old 1930s... Well, a very specific story, too. Yeah, universal monster movie. That is why yeah. this movie exists. It is spoofing that style, that genre of film. Yeah, finally somebody's come to knock that film down a peg. <laughs> <laughs> and so, as a result, in order to kind of capture that spirit, it has to kind of go at this slow-as-molasses pace, which makes the jokes kind of ring a little bit nicer when they do arrive, but the problem is it takes too long to get there. It does take too I th You see it in the first five minutes. There's an opening title sequence where there's literally nothing going on. Exactly. Nothing happens for the first, like, 30 minutes. It's just that slow pan into the castle. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of our first gag. Our very first gag is somebody's ripping away a box from... Uh, a member of the Frankenstein family. <laughs> yeah, it's like this last will and testament. The corpse is holding on to it, and he's trying to yank it off the body. Yeah, so again, like I'm, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to elicit a laugh. <laughs> if you're wondering if you're supposed to laugh, the comedy's not doing a very good job. <laughs> it's not but that this... this movie didn't make me laugh. It's just it, it takes too long to get in between the jokes. That was my problem. That's true, and... Because you're right, that is the first gag, is literally, you know, he's getting the last one testament from this corpse, and then we cut to contemporary wherever, yeah. and we see young Frederick Frankenstein, he's teaching a class, and, you know, he has a subject eventually come out, and he does, like, he basically tortures the subject, and it's meant to be funny, and, you know, give him an extra dollar, but again, that whole scene goes on for, like, ten minutes, and there's not enough jokes in there to really kind of keep a pace up. Exactly. There are literally two gags, as far as I can remember, in that opening scene. He knees a guy in the crotch, mm -hmm. and then he, in a fit of rage, he, uh, Gene Wilder, we should probably explain that uh, Gene Wilder <laughs> plays uh, the titular young Frankenstein. I should hope that they know. I should yeah. hope that they know. Yes. And he, in a fit of frustration, he stabs himself accidentally with a scalpel. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like within this kind of 10-minute window, we literally only have two mildly amusing jokes. Mm -hmm. So... Again, I I don't know where where else you found it, <laughs> where else you found it particularly funny. <laughs> I mean, I, I again, like you said, there are a few scenes where I chuckled, but mm -hmm. again, nothing where I really like gusted butt or busted my guts or <laughs> gut bust. <laughs> yes, gusted my butts. <laughs> Ruth, for oh say five or six seconds. Why, you mother-grabbing bastard! As you can see, all communication is shut off. <laughs> In spite of our mechanical magnificence, if it were not for this continuous stream of motor impulses, we would collapse like a bunch of broccoli! Oh, <laughs> And I think we've we've laid it down at the problem, or the, uh, <laughs> we've diagnosed the problem right there. This is really more, I feel like, a Gene Wilder production than a Mel Brooks production. Yeah, this seems like this was his um, passion project. This was kind of his baby. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's first billed, but he's definitely got a screenwriting credit. And I think mm. this is the only movie Mel Brooks has done where he hasn't appeared on screen. And I think it's because <laughs> he kind of let Gene Wilder have more of the reins. Yeah. And I believe the thinking behind that was that uh, it would ruin the illusion of something. Mm -hmm. Like you're supposed to get captured in the reality of a spoof of a 40-year-old monster movie. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> in which there are fourth wall breaking gags. <laughs> I did like Igor. Igor is hilarious. I, yes. Well, so that's a very funny uh, actor. Igor is played by uh, Martin Feldman. So yeah, uh, yeah, he, that's that's Marty Feldman right there. He's a he's actually a kind of renowned British. Uh, he's also a comedic director and writer as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I'd never seen him in anything else other than maybe like the occasional Monty Python scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, with those eyes, it's like how many roles can he really play? <laughs> <laughs> you can do a lot. I mean, you know, wow, old Julia, you know, got a got a career for himself. So. <laughs> But yeah, he's. I think he's definitely the funniest character in the movie. And again, because he gets all those fourth wall breaks, and you can tell he kind of like he's the most absurd character. He's playing Igor, obviously the most cartoonish character, and he's got this hump. And the like a recurring joke is that the hump's always changing sides. It's like yes. clearly a bad costume. Mm-hmm. Which and, apparently he ad libbed on the set, like as a little shape mm-hmm. <laughs> while they were filming. <laughs> He would he would intentionally change the which side his uh, hunchback was on. Mm-hmm. I mean, Peter Boyle is also good as the monster, I guess, but you only oh. get him like an hour in, unfortunately. So yeah, and he's not it's kind not of speaking, too little. Too yeah. late. I guess uh, just to point to something else, mm-hmm. all the comedy in this movie is really visually based, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I'm I'm putting it a tier lower than even your average comedy film, much less. Spaceballs and History of the World Part One and let's say Men in Tights and that there's no there's no memorable quotes. There's oh, nothing, I think there's there. Really that... I think there is, but it's like again they kind of come too far too far between, and then also they're very dry, so they have to be delivered in a very dry manner. So you're right, there is no kind of like gut bust. Well, yeah, I mean, but and also, it, it, did this movie feel safe at all to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's and I think thing that's too. kind I, of the other problem with it is the fact that we've also known Mel Brooks to kind of add satirical elements or kind of like have kind of a sharp sharp jab at his targets for yeah. his other movies. Like Spaceball is not so much, but there is that merchandising, that extended merchandising gag, and then especially with Blazing Saddles, like oh, yeah. that is a takedown of the inherent racism of the Western genre. Yeah, but there's no kind of sharp edge to this movie. It's too soft. It is very soft, and I think that's why the person who recommended this to us um, <laughs> grew up in the. I think was only gonna was only ten years old or something like that when this movie came out, mm. and so maybe audiences back in the seventies that still greatly admire this. Maybe there's some kind of built-in nostalgia for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas our our taste in comedy has changed so much. <laughs> well, we're just classy, sophisticated people. That that too, yeah. <laughs> And, and very serious people too. I mean, we don't like to laugh. <laughs> no. Is this yeah. the first? Is this the first comedy we've ever done for this uh, podcast? Oh my gosh! Wait, it might be. Yeah. I don't and know. I can't. I can't remember anything from yesterday. So asking <laughs> me to remember <laughs> fifty-four previous episodes. I'm just... Well, I mean, the other thing, like this, I was kind of resonant to want to do a comedy because, like, what? How can we talk to it besides whether or not it just made us laugh? Well, I yeah, I mean, we can speak to the effectiveness of it, and I'm, mm. I'm sorry to say it wasn't particularly effective for me. <laughs> I mean, no, I find myself laughing a few times, but I have to admit, okay. like, in terms of the breadth of comedy I've ever seen, I wouldn't put this in the top 10. Heck, I don't even know if I'd put this in the top 50. Yeah, I've, <laughs> top 50, like, I wouldn't even put it in the top 100 comedies I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which like, is kind I... of a pit, and maybe it's because of high expectations. That's like, this that is... too. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is what I also wanted to speak to. Not only the 
the attention that this film warrants, but also the entire filmography of Mel Brooks. I guess that's true. Like, the way people talk about Mel Brooks, you'd think he'd be playing, his movies would be playing on a loop in the National Gallery or something like that. Mm. When really, I mean, (laughs) what is it? Like, Blazing Saddle literally has a scene where people are farting around a campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is also, yes, this movie's very soft and but also, we should get to the point, Mel Brooks is also very juvenile. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> and I think maybe that's also where I was missing that edge and the fact that this is, um, I don't know, it's, Young Frankenstein isn't exactly juvenile in a way. No. I, but the no. comedy the comedy is, is too mild for me. I wish, I wish it would, you know, kind of, I don't know, like, just to present itself more or kind of have that anarchic or, or kind of, you know, energy to it that, say, Blazing Saddles have. But instead you had, I don't know, the only the only parts that really amused me were the um, were the uh, constable, Inspector Kemp, and his weird arm. <laughs> With the mechanical arm that he yeah. can't quite control. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that was a very funny me. character. Yeah. yeah. I'm, well, okay, so the thing that kind of typifies the movie for me is when they originally revive the monster. Okay. And... He's he set up this grand experiment. He thinks it's finally going to work, and then he gets the lightning bolts working, and it charges the monster, but he doesn't get revived. Yeah. And so they're all like laying there with the corpse, and they're all disappointed. And Frederick Frankenstein goes, you know, it's time that we accept our failures with quiet dignity. And he starts to like walk away, and then he runs back and just like starts pounding his chest, like "Wake up, you <laughs> sucker!" You know, he's like that scene was very funny to me in principle. I think the problem is there's too much of a pause, there's too much of a kind of like languid mood to it that it doesn't 100% work as well as it could have. No, and then it's completely undercut by Marty Feldman turning to camera and being like, quiet dignity, eh? Like, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it true. or something. Yeah. <laughs> See, again, like, I think the bones of this movie are hilarious. It's just in the in the actual practice the way they did it i feel like it goes on a little too long there's too much spacing in between it's just too slow it it is too slow well you said you you think the bones are there for a good comedy mhm because i didn't want to really get into this but like i'm ready to get all cinnamon cinnamon sins <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready to get all cinema sins on your ass and just be like Everything I wrong couldn't with get into the logic of the story <laughs> is the other thing I was going to complain about. Now, granted, how much are you going to complain about it when literally Mel Brooks' previous movie, he had people break off um, the Western set and into the Warner Brothers lot? <laughs> exactly. Like, how much, what... are you gonna, yeah, how much are you going to complain about story? But again, there was, there was a lot of like emotional connectivity that I'm kind of missing. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, for one thing, like it never... It doesn't, it doesn't play... I don't know, like, if, if you're going to have a comedy film with not very much laughs, like, at least make it compelling or entertaining in other ways. Hmm. And you can do that with an interesting story that's emotionally enveloping. And you don't really get that here because Dr. Frankenstein wants to kind of, his motivation is to kind of break out of his family name and be a respected scientist. Yeah, and but I think that's second a he goes jumping... back, Like, suddenly he's, he's invested in... Like, become, like, basically following in his grandfather's footsteps and reviving corpses. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the problem with the movie. It starts, it has a good jumping off point, and you do realize that it actually takes place in modern day, mm-hmm. but then as he goes to Transylvania and starts reviving his, literally reviving his grand, great-grandfather's work, 
Mm -hmm. like it totally abandons that and you completely forget that this movie takes place in the modern day it might as well have just taken place at the same time period that the original frankenstein story takes place yeah well, like there's no context. logically that wouldn't make sense he's the he's the grandson of, of the original <laughs> dr frankenstein yeah exactly if they maybe brought it more into kind of like a contemporary setting maybe it would have worked a little bit better like mm -hmm. again get that contrast but no instead it just kind of becomes that straight-faced spoof of the universal monster movie yeah and again like if if you're not gonna have jokes at least make it compelling like it's these little because the other characters he meets there's really not much to them mm -hmm. there we find that um i guess the old old maid i don't know exactly her relationship to the family but there's uh frau, frau blucher <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you that 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 gag was funny yeah so every time they say frau blucher <laughs> the horse is yeah, like no, yeah. <laughs> followed by a lightning strike or something like that <laughs> but um we find that she's kind of orchestrated his return to transylvania and revitalized his uh the original dr frankenstein's work mm -hmm. um why i don't know <laughs> Well, they were lovers, it's kind of revealed. But oh, okay. Yeah, again, it's just kind of like, ugh, passed off. Like, again, there's there's not enough going on. No, yeah. I felt and it like doesn't there feel was... like 100% thought through. No, I, f I felt like there were several scenes kind of missing. Mm -hmm. Like, again, to explain. <laughs> it's weird how long this movie is and how much space is in between jokes, and yet still feels like things are missing. <laughs> yeah. So there there's that frustration with it. John, while we're, while we're on the subject of love. Mm-hmm. I was wondering how you were feeling particularly about how the plot progresses forward and how um, it gets a little cheeky with the concept of sex. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Phrasing. Yes. <laughs> uh, Dr. Frankenstein, Gene mm -hmm. Wilder, has a uh, fiancé mm -hmm. that he's leaving behind. It's established that she's very vain and probably not very committed to that relationship. No, like actually, that was kind of the first gag that really got me. Is that you know it's the classic like he's leaving on a train and they're yeah. saying goodbye, but she's going to a party, so she's like, "Watch the hair, watch yeah. the lipstick," and then he tries to hold her hand. Nails, nails. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. Yes. Which come back, she improvises something later with her tongue. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, John, they have this problem. The monster's out on the loose. Like, how do how do we sedate it? How do we calm it down? Well, they use the violin, of course. Well, and that's not until he encounters the castle and um, <laughs> sees uh, a young Frankenstein's fiance there, mm. and um, <laughs> what would look like uh, an attack actually turns out to be uh, an attack of love. Let's say <laughs> <laughs> it's sexual assault until it's not. <laughs> okay. Uh to be quite frank, this movie yes. does not have the most woke approach when it comes to women. <laughs> no. The women are basically sexual objects and there to please men throughout the movie. Yes. yes. We haven't even gotten to uh, Inga, mm -hmm. his other assistant. His other assistant, in, uh, to add to Igor, we also have uh, Inga, who also has eyes for Frederick Frankenstein, and they do eventually, mm -hmm. uh, you know... Stup. Stup. Uh, I did kind of like Which that. Which is another yeah. scene that's missing because um, there's frustrations of the monsters escape. They uh, calm each other down by making whoopee. Mm -hmm. But that's when, oh, plot complications. Uh, his fiance has arrived exactly. from America. She's now in Transylvania. So, John, how does how does this scene play out? They're, they're in bed. They're post-coital. Mm -hmm. How does that scene play out? Well, she arrives and then they just pretend everything's fine. Yes, I'll tell but you how it plays for out. For us, the audience, out. it's awkward. Yeah. 
So the drama, not even the drama is going to maximize. Like, not only the joke's listless, but so is the drama. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Which, again, but, I don't, again, I don't want to be, like, nitpicky. Well, I don't I want mean, to. I don't want to hold. I don't want to hold Young Frankenstein, a silly spoof movie, to the same standards as, let's say, the conversation. I guess, which also but had it, Gene Hackman in it. But I guess, but it's also like which I did not recognize Gene Hackman for a second. Neither that did was actually I. Really <laughs> impressive. Yeah, we should say there's a great scene, a great cameo by Gene Hackman, mm-hmm. which is again spoofing something specifically from the Frankenstein monster movie. Monster. Yes, there's a blind man who doesn't. Who doesn't who doesn't realize that the person uh, the person who's wandering into his home is in fact a monster mm-hmm. and he's trying to be a good cordial guest he gives him like uh, beer and soup and he tries to yeah. give him a cigar but he lights his thumb on fire yeah very funny stuff very yeah. funny stuff and apparently he improvised the great capper to the scene there's an actual capper to the scene it doesn't just <laughs> fade to black I was so thankful for that is he do you have your cigar let me see let me see alright Don't inhale until the tip glows. espresso he says i was gonna make espresso (laughs) okay so i guess maybe that's uh, the reason why we're being so hard on this movie is because again this was apparently a passion project and you think if it's a passion project it would have been more thought out yeah that's true or you would sense more (laughs) the passion like i kept thinking about sean and the dead which... which is again like a comedy spoofing a horror movie Yes, or at least we, ta- we talked about this, yeah, uh, just a plug, or uh, mm-hmm. last year's Halloween Spooktacular. <laughs> of course. You can hear us talk about Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. But it's like every scene, you get the affection and the love for this genre. And you kind of get that in this, but then you don't really feel it in the material. No. It, you're right. It, it doesn't... I, it I don't lovingly understand recreates... the point. Like, again, like, why... The the again the impetus for Shaun of the Dead it's not really spoofing it's kind of like an homage to zombie movies mm-hmm. and basically a genre matchup but you can see the kind of affection that you have for the characters it's playing out more like a conventional film with comedy elements in it mm-hmm. and yeah this is just you know hey here's a movie I really admired as a kid maybe mm-hmm. but I've grown up to be a comic actor it's what I do it's what people expect of me so maybe I don't know like again he just wanted to recreate his favorite movie in his own image. I guess so, yeah, because it's like they they literally used even the same sets from the old Frankenstein movie, and so they've lovingly recreated it, but it's also like, but the material doesn't elevate it or kind of spoof no. it enough or change it enough to make this whole production feel worthwhile. No, yeah, so if I, if we arrived at a point, too, because there's also kind of a message to Shaun of the Dead and usually a film <laughs> or some kind of theme you can extract from it, like what what do you extract from Young Frankenstein? Other than, you know, some chuckles when the guy's arm isn't, you know, (laughs) complying in the way that he wants it to. I mean, what's the ultimate message of Spaceballs? What's the ultimate message of A History of the World Part 1? I, well, so maybe this is something we could put, hold Mel Brooks' Brooks feet at the fire of. (laughs) 
All right. Well, you talked about how celebrated Mel Brooks is, and I guess we should bring up the fact that probably the reason why Mel Brooks is so celebrated is because members of the Academy grew up on the same movies that he loved as well. That's a good point, yeah. He spoofs movies that they grew up with, and so I think that's why there's such affection for Mel Brooks and why Spaceballs is probably his most maligned movie because, again, he's spoofing something more modern as opposed to something more kind of histrionic. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe also Spaceballs, I I think, doesn't come from that place of affection, maybe. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I I guess that's true. Yeah. So are you saying, like, he's, he's still praised because silent movie was making fun of silent movies and high anxiety exactly. was making fun of Hitchcock. Like, mm-hmm. like that's something, Hey, by the way, Mel Brooks made those movies too. You probably never heard of them outside of a Spaceballs gag. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I think that's why people love young Frankenstein is because like, Hey, I remember these movies. Hey, he lovingly recreated it and added a few jokes. That's funny. But yeah. for us, we didn't grow up with this kind of movie. So it's like we have no frame of reference, so how are we supposed to appreciate this? Again, yeah. I thought it was funny at times. I Oh, no, I yeah, it's not, it. it's not completely unamusing. I'm, I'm not saying – I'm just saying I was bored more than I was amused yeah. throughout it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I, do, I do think Mel Brooks is still a great filmmaker, and he obviously should be lauded, but is this movie, like, according to, like, premiere, the ninth funniest movie of all time? I don't know. No, no. Not I, can't, I can't go that far. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it – anywhere near any <laughs> any pantheon of great comedic films. I feel like, it, you know, our only frame of reference is Blazing Saddles, which is far superior to this. Mm-hmm. Very, so yes. I, I left disappointed. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits. Dressed up like a million dollar trooper. Trying mighty hard to look like Gary Cooper. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or rumbarellas in their mitts. fans out there because <laughs> I think uh, this is another film we're kind of late to the party we're kind of late comers to this maybe that's another thing mm-hmm. again we don't have this built in nostalgia um, the landscape of comedy has changed so much yeah so and again we're we're expecting jokes that uh, our expectations are high let's say yes I would yeah <laughs> so there's that too so again sorry young Frankenstein we're failing you. We're we're kicking you out of class. <laughs> Ouch. Yes. But hey, they don't come to they don't come to this podcast for fawning praise for every movie. Okay. That's, that's not true. They come for an intelligent discussion. Exactly. And you know what else they come for? What's that? That's sweet, dripping, creamy <laughs> spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> Exquisite mouthfeel. Exquisite mouthfeel. Well, John, Mel Brooks figures prominently into my spotlight this week. Oh. Yes, I want to recommend a book that mm. I finished earlier this year. It was a Christmas present last year. Um, now, you may be wondering why I'm recommending a book when the form has been pretty much perfected by a crime novel called Kingdom of God, <laughs> available on Amazon right now. 
But the book I want to recommend is called The Comedians by Cliff Nesterhoff. Ooh. Yes, I'm sorry if I butcher that name. Okay. It's called The Comedians, colon, Drunks, Thieves, Scoundrels, and the History of American Comedy. Ah. So this is an exhaustive look at pretty much the 20th century and a little bit into the 21st century of comedy, starting all the way from vaudeville all through all the permutations that stand up and, and kind of comedy theater went through, all the way through television, movies. And so it's a pretty exhaustive look at pretty much the history of American comedy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of a disappointment that it is just American comedy. So, you know, mm-hmm. Monty Python and Ricky Gervais and everybody else can go eat shit. But <laughs> Well, I mean, comedy is so kind of tied to culture. And that's I true, think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's part of a reason why, you know, uh, movie studios these days don't invest a lot in comedy as much as they used to. It's because it's like that's not you know it's not baked in for an international audience. Sadly, yeah. Um, <laughs> ironically enough, uh, you can read. I wouldn't read it for the comedy. I would read it more for the kind of palace intrigue and all the behind the scenes drama that was going on. I mean, it is pretty exhaustive with all the stories he he was able to collect and and the direct quotes he was able to get. Um, and it's way better. I think it's way better in spite of some artlessness to the book. Mm-hmm. There's not. A, there's, he's uh, Kip Nefserhoff. I, I I wouldn't accuse him of being the next uh, Jonathan Franzen or anything <laughs> like that. He doesn't. He doesn't paint a picture with words. It's a lot of like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. Well, it sounds more like a historian than like you know. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I I will say this. Kip Nefserhoff, like English is not his first language. So oh. to write a hundred thousand words on comedy is, is an achievement of himself. <laughs> okay. He's no yeah, David that's... McCullough. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> But it's still very good. I mean, uh, it really does trace the origin of a lot of things. Um, my favorite kind of portion is um, how kind of stand-up comedy changed in the 50s, how uh, it mesthetized, I hope I pronounced that right, <laughs> mesthetized from guys just standing up repeating jokes verbatim that they get in books and little leaflets and things like that to actually, you know, crafting personal stories or uh, having kind of a different point of view and crafting okay. jokes that way. Also how... Guys like Woody Allen and Bob Newhart were influenced by a guy named Mort Stahl, or excuse me, Mar- Mort Saul. Mm. He was kind of the original guy who did this. He had this kind of stammering persona. Oh, okay. And so that's interesting to see to kind of bring these guys to light. Um, a lot of fascinating stories about uh, Albert Brooks's like a uh, little flirtation with stand-up comedy and and a kind of epic flame out that prevented it from that prevented him from ever doing it again. Oh, yeah. Poor Albert Brooks. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> and he never had a career after that. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so it's very, it's very good from that perspective. I do wish, um, I guess, I wish he had kind of narrowed his focus or that ambition, mm-hmm. because it's so clear that he is just consumed with the the classics, the guys from the the radio days, and and pretty much like starting in the radio days and ending in Vegas. Okay, I'm thinking like Mil- Milton Berle, Don Rickles, um, guys like before that whose names escape me, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's clear that he's so con- consumed because where I found it really interesting, and and again this is just me, just because I'm a younger person, like what it really where the book really takes off is the '70s, the comedy boom of the '80s, and how much it has changed, how much the landscape has changed in the new millennium. Gotcha. But unfortunately, that's that's literally the last, I don't know, 40 pages of a 400-plus page book. <laughs> it's clear that he's he's not as interested, now granted, probably because the history hasn't been written of that this er- these eras of comedy yet. They haven't been defined as well as, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Mm-hmm. 
but also like even in those moments like he can't quit those those old guys like he said like when he's talking about i don't know carlin or or freddie prince or something like that guys like really ascending in the 70s he's like he always goes back to like well milton burrell couldn't get work at this time <laughs> oh, okay and, and i wanted to, i wanted to like yell at him like who cares like why can't you quit these people these people are dinosaurs at this point i mean there is this like weird perception like no matter what was going on like no matter what comparatively happened afterwards like for some reason 40s and 50s is always used as like a golden age yeah <laughs> like no matter what the medium is whether it's comics or tv or whatever it's always like oh yeah because the greatest generation was reading it and that's what matters yeah, yeah. <laughs> again going back to the whole mel brooks thing it's like that's what he spoofs so therefore what he spoofs is the best <laughs> exactly which is uh, again also strange like Kip Nefserhoff is not one of these dinosaurs like <laughs> that you would expect to be like oh this this golden age. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I that's a, that's a little demerit, but overall it's still it's still a pretty compelling read. I mean, does spite- he like? It doesn't sound like he also kind of like adds any commentary to it. It's just kind of like facts. Yeah, so, so that's I guess that's that's what makes it great from a, as a from a historical perspective. Okay. The artlessness of the writing doesn't mean there's not a whole lot of like editorializing. Okay. <laughs> Which is good. I mean, um <laughs> he does state a fact on you won't believe this. Mm. But when he gets to the chapter of the of the new millennium, comedy in the new millennium, he says this, the internet changed everything. <laughs> wow. Yes. Shocking. I made sure to highlight that line. <laughs> <laughs> no one's had the guts to say it before. Yeah. So there's no um no, but he always he always kind of frames it any any kind of critiques or editorials is always framed in somebody else's commentary. Mm-hmm. Like another part of the book like uh there's a quick little profile on Don Rickles. Mm-hmm. And actually he and obviously he's known as the great insult comedian. He was doing the same act that a uh, another guy was doing, but everyone kind of I think he corroborates two different people that just admitted, like, yeah, it was the same act. Don Rickles was doing it better. Oh, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever kind of editorializing or critique there is, it's always kind of framed by somebody else. Okay, got it. Yeah. Or I'm not alone on this. (laughs) No, exactly. (laughs) I, I... I I would say Mr. Nefsterhoff isn't exactly it, he wouldn't call himself the authority or something like that like he wouldn't you know he's not a kingmaker in the world of comedy but he does you know mm-hmm. he does exhaustively chronicle it and so Got that's it. that's why the book is good okay mm-hmm. so right. check it out along with Kingdom of God available on Amazon today Christmas is right around the corner you know <sighs> anywho <laughs> what do you have for spotlight uh, this week and why is it the new book Kingdom of God <laughs> This week, True TV premiered a new TV show called At Home with Amy Sedaris. Ah, I've desperately wanted to watch this. I'm sorry. Me too, because I have not seen it yet. But (laughs) (laughs) it leads me into my my actual spotlight. Okay. Um, Amy Sedaris, for those not in the know, is a hilarious uh, comedic actress. Comedian, yes. Mm, Comedian. You might recognize her as Mimi Canassis from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. She's also the voice of Princess Carolyn mm-hmm. in BoJack Horseman, also on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But uh, she, when she's paired up with her frequent collaborators, Paul Danello and Stephen Colbert, magic happens. <laughs> Indeed it does. And so um, she worked with Paul Danello on this new show, At Home with, um, At Home with Amy Sedaris, and then also Stephen Colbert makes an appearance on this show. Um, but it got me Along thinking, with other, a lot of other guests. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it got, including Michael Shannon. Believe it or not, nice. <laughs> I, I I will believe it. Legendary comedian Michael Shannon. I, uh, I choose to believe. Yes. 
<laughs> but it got me thinking about, and it got me to my spotlight this week, the funniest show I've ever gotten the chance to experience, Strangers with Candy. Well, that, John, that's a bold statement. You know what? I'm going that far, okay? <laughs> it is the funniest show. All 30 episodes are just absolute comedic brilliance, and I love it to death. Yeah, including the movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, there's also a prequel movie, which maybe you should start because it kind of like streamlines things a bit. Uh, yeah. It kind of sands off the weirdness a little bit, which is why I think fans of the movie weren't exactly on board with it, but I still think it's great. You mean fans of the TV show weren't on board with the movie? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That was actually my first exposure to Strangers as Candy, and I think I do admire it for that because I am, I am pretty darn square. So, <laughs> yes, and again, like the movie was kind of meant to be more of a wider release, so it kind of like lowers the absurdity level a tad. But again, mm-hmm. it's going from like eleven to ten, so <laughs> <laughs> that's I I would say down to a seven, maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, Strangers as Candy is a spoof of after school specials. It's uh, basically me... an after-school special on acid. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Is that every TV guide writer between 1999 and 2003. <laughs> the show concerns itself with Jerry Blank, a 46-year-old teenage runaway who has returned to complete her high school degree. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, she's lived a hard life. You know, she was a boozer, a user, and a loser. But now she's back in school, and when she's making all the wrong choices, she's making them for all the right reasons. (laughs) I should say, also for 46, very glamorous. Of course. (laughs) And so it's the the comedy stems a lot from her trying to reacclimate to this world, but then it's also just full of all these weird, absurd touches. Like, the teacher's lounge has a sauna and a shooting range. We should probably explain Paul Domenello and uh, Stephen Colbert play gay lovers, too. <laughs> yes. Um, um, Stephen Colbert getting a trial run for his Stephen Colbert character by mm-hmm. playing the most egotistical teacher on the planet Earth. <laughs> he plays an egotistical uh, history teacher named Chuck Knoblet, mm-hmm. who clearly has a very dim view of gay people, even though he is secretly gay. And yeah. then you have Paul Domenello playing Joffrey, the uh, effeminate... <laughs> Your feet art teacher, yes. <laughs> Look, I have a mind of a child, guys. <laughs> but it's just, it's so absurd and so funny, and it's just full of, like, all those, just any second they have to fit in a gag, they will take. Yes. There's an instance where, like, there's a feast, so everyone, like, dig in, everyone, and then you get a quick insert shot of the food, and it's just a million hands off screen just reach in, and one of the hands is like a pirate hook, and it just starts taking it apart. And it's just, like... Every second they had to make a gag, they would use. And so when we're talking again about jokes per minute, it's just, it's so dense. It's just hilarious. Yeah. There, there is a lot going on. <laughs> Which I will say, maybe not to everyone's taste. No, absolutely not. And again, if you're looking for like a consistent tone, then you're shit out of luck, I'm afraid. Yeah. Because <laughs> again, it, it, go, it, it flirts from like absurd to funny wordplay to pun-based humor back to like a sight gag. It's just, it's, crazy it's absolutely insane all in kind of a candy color candy coated (laughs) production design so Mm -hmm. yeah with that with that old school like kind of after school special video touch Mm -hmm. yeah the the film is very grainy it's very low quality yeah the acting isn't particularly good but that's kind of the point (laughs) well it's comedic acting it's brilliant oh absolutely yeah yeah (laughs) and probably not out of place in a lifetime movie i don't think yeah it's very intentionally like over the top yeah I'll never forget there was this one scene where Jerry meets a kid who's 16 now that she gave up when she was pregnant when she was younger. 
and again like an idea of the kind of tone and acidic way to the film hey i didn't just give you away i traded you for a guitar in all these years i can't help but wonder whatever happened to that guitar <laughs> it's that kind of stuff that sticks with you that's comedy yep. mm-hmm. it is solid stuff i will admit that mm-hmm I, I wouldn't go as far as to call it the funniest show of all time, but... Oh, well, that's where you're wrong, okay? Okay. <laughs> and again, don't, like, we talked about expectations. I'm setting your expectations now. You are going to laugh your ass off. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay, John, don't make promises you can't keep. Well, what would you say is the funniest show ever? Well, obviously it'd be 30 Rock, but also <laughs> just the caveat. Again, somebody people very close to us recommended young frankenstein do you think they'll also enjoy strangers of candy uh, they should because <laughs> if they don't then we don't want we don't want them in our lives anymore goodbye <laughs> no of course we do <laughs> joking obviously i know but greg where where can we extend our family where can we extend our reach and our exactly i i like what yeah and when you're an aspiring stops fan your family mm-hmm that's and our we're that family yes and we that's have our new tagline <laughs> when you're yes. here your family I'm sure no one else has used that before. Nope. So when you're yes, so we have a 24/7 family reunion going on all the time on Facebook and Twitter. Exactly. You can connect with us there just as you would your uh, regular family, but you don't need them anymore. You're now in the aspiring snobs family. Exactly. Leave your family and join us. We're yes. not a cult. No, we're we're aspiring to be a cult again for the uh, the tax status, really. But <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then once you're done with that, you can always give us a recommendation. And you can reach out to us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Absolutely. And John, we're on every podcast platform. Yes. People can listen to us anywhere. Our influence is really growing. Yes. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podbeam. We're on SoundCloud. We're making it happen. Okay, guys? Indeed we are. We're extending our reach like tentacles, like roots. (laughs) You can't escape us. So don't (laughs) even try. I mean, we're your family now. Who's going to love yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. You can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to uh, casually th- just uh, go clear on this one. <laughs> just going to hand in my resignation letter. You can't leave, Greg. You signed a billion-dollar contract, okay? <laughs> a billion-year contract. Yes. <laughs> a billion-year contract. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just don't want to get reassigned to, you know, scrubbing <laughs> scrubbing the deck with a toothbrush. <laughs> On the Pacific. I don't want I don't want that to happen. It's called the Ocean Org, okay? <laughs> Alright, it's bigger Listen, than the Aspiring Stomps ocean. ocean Org. It's a beautiful it's a it's paradise essentially. Exactly. You You'd be lucky boat. to get that assignment. hmm You get on a boat, you get to sleep on a cot, you get to do manual labor, all for the betterment of use, good sir, okay? Yes. So that your soul a billion years from now <laughs> can pass on. Exactly. Yeah, to whatever tax shelter is next in the next life. <laughs> when we drop our bodies. Yes. Okay, before we get uh, litigated, <laughs> thank you everybody for listening. And next week, you can follow along with us as we'll be yes. watching Rules of the Game. Or Les Regles de Jeu. Les Regles de Jeu. This is Greg's pick, and I'm super psyched about it. John, this is generally regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. Great. Awesome. (laughs) So was Young Frankenstein, and look how that turned out. (laughs) No, I'm more optimistic about this one. Okay, fair enough. Again, so if you like your old French films from the 30s, (laughs) and we sure heartily enjoy our discussion of the rules of the game. Okay. And so thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. Thank you.